Christmas is officially over. How's that for a sermon introduction today? (laughs) But really, with Christmas being yesterday, we're now officially on the other side of Christmas, where we're still holding on to the good vibes of the season with warm feelings and, and, and just feeling really good about Christmas. For example, our decorations are still up. We're continuing to figure out what it looks like to, to put together the toys that we bought for our kids, maybe the, the bike that you are still trying to figure out how all the parts actually fit together. You might not have even celebrated with your extended family members, maybe grandparents, aunts, and uncles. That's still coming up. So as much as Christmas is officially over, it's not really over yet, right? We're still remembering and still celebrating the love that came down at Christmas, the love of God that sent Jesus to earth to be born, to live, and to die, and to live again. That's what Christmas is all about, right? God's deep, extravagant, and sacrificial love for us. And we're not too far past Christmas. I mean, it was just yesterday to really continue those feelings of love and those feelings of warmth. It's, it's like we're still so much in the reality of Christmas, that we're like Cindy Lou Who in Whoville. You know Whoville, the place in the book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss. Here here are a few lines from this book. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. So all the Who girls and all the Who boys would wake up bright and early. They'd rush to their toys Then who's young and old would sit down to a feast and they'd feast and they'd feast and they'd feast, 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 feast. I love that. In Whoville, there's this sense of warmth and celebration of Christmas, these smiling faces and love all while they bask in the reality of the Christmas season. So if Christmas is all about God's love in the person of Jesus, it's really easy to respond to God's love for us during the Christmas season. It's easy to have this kind of Whoville vibe of feelings of love for God during Christmas because it's a time that we, re- that we remember Jesus's birth. It's really easy to experience joy and hope at Christmas. It's easy to be filled with love for others and really want to serve others at Christmas because it's the reality of God's love, love for us is so much on display. But soon, Christmas season will come to an end. Your extended family gatherings will come and go. The presents you opened, played with, and possibly even forgotten will be forgotten. Our Whoville vibe will fade as we face the realities of life and work and school in the new year. Are you you depressed yet? (laughs) I mean, so how do we continue to hold on to the vibe of Christmas going into a new year? How do we grow in love for God even when it's not the Christmas season anymore? What do we need to do going forward? Well, today, I, along with the other campus pastors, Matt and Isaac, and our director of central operations, Tim Kong, are really going to be walking through a passage from the Bible, looking at what Jesus believes is the most important priority and what we can do to grow in our love in our everyday non-Christmas season lives. So for that, we turn to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. I'm gonna introduce us to this passage 
And then the other guys here are gonna help us figure out what love after Christmas can look like in our lives. So in Mark 12, 28, let's read this together. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus is really confronted by these religious teachers as they wonder what he might say in response to the question of what the greatest commandment is. Is Jesus going to line up with traditional Jewish belief or is he going to go off the rails? So to answer the question, Jesus actually quoted probably the most often quoted verse in scripture. Now, it's not actually John 3.16 because I know that's what you were thinking when I said the most often quoted verse in scripture. It's actually two verses that are part of what's referred to as the Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter six. And the Shema has been recited pretty much every morning and evening by devout Jews throughout history. Let's see what Jesus quotes here. In verse 29, the most important one, Jesus answers, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. You know, for many of us, this idea of loving God can seem confusing or vague. In this passage, Jesus' answer to what the greatest commandment is gives us an amazing framework for what loving God actually means. We're to love God completely and totally because he and he alone is God. Therefore, he expects his people to give themselves totally to him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Four words. Here's a question. What do those words actually mean? So let's bring in the other guys today into the conversation so we can figure out what love after Christmas with our heart, our soul, mind, and strength can actually look like. In both Matthew and Mark's gospel, when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he begins answering that question by saying, we are to love God with all of our hearts. That is, we are to love God in our innermost being. We're to love God with our feelings, and we are to love God with our desires. We're to love God with our passions, and we're even to love God with our emotions. Now, depending on your personality type, this may come rather easily. Uh, perhaps you would describe yourself as a feeler. You know feelers, don't you? These are the people who experience strong, powerful emotions in life. Feelers are in touch with how they're feeling at any particular moment. They often may cry at weddings. They're quick to give a hug. Feelers do not attempt to run away from their emotions. Instead, they welcome and embrace all the highs and all the lows of the human experience. Well, if that's you, then I would suspect that loving God with all of your heart might come quite naturally. But what about the rest of us? How can those of us who are more stoic and cerebral grow in loving God with our emotions and in our feelings? Are there any tips and tricks to make our little Grinch hearts grow three sizes bigger? Or are we doomed to be forever cold, unfeeling robots? Well, before we answer that question, 
let's first acknowledge that there can be all kinds of reasons why some of us are less emotional and demonstrative than others. For some of us, our heart has led us to make some poor decisions in the past, and so we're suspicious of emotions. We've thrown out the baby with the bathwater, and that's just sort of where we are. For others, perhaps we have been led to believe that showing emotion is weak and unbecoming, and so we repress and stuff down our feelings. For others, maybe you shy away from your emotions as some sort of a defense mechanism to try and keep you from letting, being let down again or letting your guard down and perhaps risking being wounded all over again. Whatever the reason, some of us really struggle with connecting emotionally with God. But Jesus, nevertheless, commands all of us, right, both feelers and robots, to love him with all of our hearts. So what can we do about that? Woody Allen once said, the heart wants what the heart wants. And I believe that pretty well summarizes our culture's understanding of emotions, We seem to think that we're sort of helpless to influence or control what we feel and control what we desire. We believe that the heart is sort of sovereign above all else, and that genetics or maybe our environment or fate or something just sort of dictates our feelings and desires, and we're helpless to do anything about it. It's it's as if the heart, which we have no influence over, spits out some emotion, some feeling, some desire, And then we're bound to follow those marching orders. But did you know that Jesus actually taught we can influence and steer and even direct our hearts and emotions? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, Jesus tells his disciples to store up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. And then he makes this remarkable statement in verse 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to notice Jesus did not say where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. No, he said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, sometimes we may not feel much of an emotional connection to someone or some pursuit But in spite of all of that, if we start investing time and energy anyway, oftentimes the heart will jump on board. While it's certainly true that our hearts often influence our actions, it's also equally true that we can take actions that will influence our hearts. The reality is, at times, you may feel absolutely nothing initially, no emotion, no feeling, no passion. But if you take action and invest time and energy anyway, that often has a way of sort of jump-starting our emotions. It's a little like that scientific discovery that smiling can actually make you happier. While it's true that oftentimes we smile because we're already happy, research has proven that even if you're not happy, if you just start smiling, your body will release dopamine, endorphins, and serotonin, which lower anxiety and actually increase feelings of happiness. Well, where am I going with all of this? I'm simply wanting to point out we have influence over our hearts. We have the capacity to do things before we're overcome with emotion that will give birth to feelings and emotions. 
Allow me to suggest three practical ways you might be able to help jumpstart your heart and grow in loving God with your emotions. First, I wanna encourage you to search for sacred music that you really, really enjoy. Music is unbelievably powerful, but it's also a matter of personal preference and taste. If you struggle with connecting emotionally with God, one step you can take is finding some worship music you really honestly enjoy. While the lyrics should obviously be solid, it's equally important that you identify genres and artists whose musical styles suit your personal taste. For some of you, that might be modern worship. For others, it could be hymns. Still for others, it might be bluegrass or hip hop or even more instrumental kinds of music. But whatever it is, I wanna encourage you to find your musical cup of tea and incorporate it into your day-to-day life. You might be surprised at the difference that makes. Second, I wanna encourage you to take steps to lead your heart during corporate worship. As much as we may not like to admit it, for most of us, if we're being honest, there are probably times when worshiping together on a Sunday feels a little flat. Now, that's not because of our worship teams. We have an absolute embarrassment of riches in that department. Rather, it's because sometimes we simply don't feel much gratitude. We don't feel a sense of awe And we honestly don't feel all that much joy in our hearts. When I have found myself in that situation, I've learned a trick that works well for me. Sometimes if I raise my hands or sing more loudly or do something physical before I feel strong emotions, oftentimes those feelings will quickly follow. Now to be clear, I'm not saying we should put an act on for others to watch or something like that, but in our connection with God, I believe sometimes we can set the conditions for our emotions to be engaged by raising our hands, singing loudly, clapping, or doing something physical in worship prior to being flooded with strong feelings and emotions. While it may not work for you, it certainly is helpful for me. So I wanna encourage you to give this a shot the next time worship is feeling a tad flat for you Again, you might be surprised at the difference it makes. Third, I would encourage you to reflect on what God has delivered you from. As a Christian, it is important that over the course of time, throughout the years, we realize we have a tendency to maybe grow a little cold. If if you've been a Christian for years, my suspicion is that shortly after you were saved, You were probably on fire and felt strong affection for Christ, but somewhere along the way, you cooled a little, and now, let's just face it, the honeymoon is over. Complicating matters, if if you've taken your Christian walk seriously for years now, it's likely that maybe some of your more scandalous or embarrassing sins are kind of somewhat in the rear view mirror, and so you just don't have that deep emotional appreciation for what God has saved you from because it's kind of old hat, and you're kind of losing sight of what God has done to save and deliver you. Well, hey, if that's you, I would encourage you to consider taking some time to simply reflect on those past sins. Take some time and consider your past ways that are in your rearview mirror. 
You see, loving God with our hearts does not mean we always only feel positive emotions. There, there is a time to mourn and experience contrition. This, too, is also a way that we can love God with our emotions. Why not take some time and not in a morbid way, but just sort of simply reflect on what God has delivered you from, what, what selfishness and sins he forgave you of, perhaps the act of remembering some of the, partic- the particulars of the pit Christ lifted you out of will rekindle your affection for God. Because as Christ put it, those who are forgiven much love much. Thanks, Matt, for helping us look at what it means to love God with all of our heart. The second word is soul. What does it mean to love God with all of our soul? But what exactly is the soul? We hear the word soul used in a lot of different contexts, but do we really understand when Jesus tells us to love God with all of our soul? Before we go to look at how practically we can do this, we need to understand what the soul truly is and establish what is the soul. Let me illustrate it this way. How do you know if you have a cell phone that is operating at peak capacity? You can look on the outside, see the outward appearance, the camera lens, the color, and make a determination that way. You can also open it up, see all the apps on it, and make a determination that way as well. However, you really don't understand how well your phone is operating unless you look at the operating system. See, if you have an iPhone, your phone is running on the iOS operating system. If you have an Android, your phone is operating on the Android system. It doesn't matter how good your phone looks on the outside. See, without a good and updated operating system, your phone won't function well. You can download all the apps you want on your phone, but the apps will only function well with a properly functioning operating system. See, that is our soul. The soul is the operating system of our lives. It runs our lives. It is our center. Without a healthy soul, we cannot fully live the lives God desires for us. See, the soul is the deepest part of us. Author Dallas Willard describes the soul like this. He says, our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and a harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature. And all else within us is enlivened and directed by that stream. Then we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature at large. See, but here's the problem. Many of us neglect working on and developing a healthy soul. Why? Because it's so easy to address the outer life people see. See, the soul is the inner life, the stuff that's underneath the surface, people, things that both people don't see. In our celebrity and the social media culture, we are celebrated for what we post on Instagram. We are celebrated by metrics that people can see, how many followers we have, how many degrees we have, our title at work, how much money we have, even how nice our family looks in our Christmas cards. So what happens when we applaud for what we are being seen on the outside? Well, what happens is we work on an image of ourselves that is heavily focused on outward metrics. 
This is ultimately unsustainable. See, to have a healthy soul means the image people see on the outside resembles what's on the inside of my soul. Get this, if your soul was healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. But if your soul was unhealthy, no external circumstances can redeem your life. See, in order to fully love God with all of our soul, where do we start? So here are four areas we should develop to have a healthy soul. To make it easier for us to remember, I created an acronym, SOUL, S-O-U-L. The first way to develop a healthy soul is to seek forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Some of us are not growing in our faith because we have not or will not forgive. Bitterness is a poison to your soul. It is said that resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. See, when we don't openly and freely forgive, that gives Satan a stronghold in your life. See, God wants to break that stronghold by you being a person who constantly seeks forgiveness. Is there somebody that you need to forgive today? The second way to develop a healthy soul is to open yourself up to others. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The Christian life was not meant to be done alone or in the shadows. Life change occurs in environments of true and authentic community. But when we have an unhealthy soul, we are more reluctant to be in community with others. We're overcome by shame and guilt and would rather be alone. But hear this, being alone when we are struggling is the worst thing we can do. Bringing what plagues you to the light, secrets are toxic to the health of our soul. Who do you have in your life that is willing to talk about the deep topics of the soul? If you don't have anyone, we encourage you to join a small group, sign up for a class, or simply ask someone you know to walk with you in your spiritual journey. The third way to develop a healthy soul is to understand any family sin patterns. You see, we have sin patterns that are passed down from generation to generation. Author and pastor P. Cesaro has a great saying regarding family sinful patterns. He says this, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. In other words, our family's past, both positive and negative, play a big part in our lives. See, family sin patterns can be hard to overcome because they've been modeled for us and they were modeled for our parents and their parents before them. It could be greed, addictions, bitterness, insecurity, or a handful of other things. But our families have potential to pass down generational behavioral sin patterns to us. See, if we fail to understand how our family has influenced us, we are likely to repeat the negative behaviors as well. 
So how do we understand family sin patterns? Do a family tree and try to understand sin patterns, try to identify them. If we are honest with how our past has shaped us, we can begin to develop a healthy soul. The fourth and final way to develop a healthy soul is to look beneath the surface. If you picture your life as an iceberg, if you were to see a picture of an iceberg, we only see what's above the water, what's above the surface. But that's actually not the entire iceberg. Actually, 90% of the iceberg is what we don't see. It's below the surface. See, a healthy soul constantly looks beneath the surface. So when I act out in anger, I need to look beneath the surface to understand the why and address the disease and not the symptoms. If I have a feeling of insecurity or insignificance, I need to look beneath the surface to understand and address the root of the problem. We will never grow above the level of our self-awareness. The unhealthy things that exist beneath the surface are the very things that prevent us from fully loving God with all of our soul and experiencing the fullness of God. Ooh, man, these guys are tough to follow, heart and soul. But I wanna keep us going here on loving God with all of your mind. And the mind is a powerful thing. It can be one of the scariest questions, but I wanna pose it right now. What are you thinking? Even right now, what are you thinking? And it can be said that our minds are what guide our lives. A couple of quotes in this one, in this vein, one is from Marcus Aurelius, says the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. Another one from Dale Carnegie, our thoughts make us what we are. Powerful and amazing. As you think about the brain, the brain is really the most powerful computer known. It possesses 100 billion neurons with roughly one quadrillion, that's a million billion connections known as the synapses wiring these cells together. It's an amazing thing. And it's interesting to note that there was a longstanding myth that people said that we only used about 10% of our brain. And no one really knows where that myth came from. But as the technology of PET scans and MRIs has come along, that brain, I mean, that has shown to be a true myth. And it's been discovered that we use almost all of our brain every day. Now, that's different parts throughout the day for, responsible for different functions, but we use it every day for everything. But the mind is so much more than just how much of it we utilize, how much more, how much we utilize our brain. Just a quick Google search would tell you and show you that people are constantly trying to unlock the power of the mind. You see, there's popular movies that even depict this and show people are trying to unlock the incredible power that is in one's mind. So what does it mean when the Bible says that we are to love God with all of our mind? It really connects with these other pieces, heart, soul, and strength. But in connecting with just the mind, we see some verses that talk about the power of the mind. We see Romans 12, 2, that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will, what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. We see over in 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has give, gives us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, or it could be said sound mind. And then just one more over in Titus 2, 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So we see this is a virtue. To be able to control the way one thinks is a big deal. But what does this actually look like? How do we practice this in our lives? So I want to give three ways really quickly that we can cultivate this in our lives. And the first is to take your thoughts captive. Taking your thoughts captive is seen directly in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's time for us to kind of take an audit. As I posed that question a minute ago, what are you thinking about? On any given day, what's going through our minds? Perhaps you literally want to write it down in a journal. What are you thinking about? We want to record this. And, you, you know, you think about journaling and you might think, oh, I don't want to write this down for fear that someone may see it. But this may be a good indicator is that your mind is not in the right place, that you're thinking on the wrong things. So we want to take our thoughts captive And that brings us to the next piece, which is we want to be thinking about the right things. We want to think about the right things. We see in Philippians 4, verse 8, where it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we've taken that audit. We've captured our thoughts. And then this gives us a perfect grid to run them through. Are they true? Are they honorable? Are they just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise? Those are the things that we should be thinking about and running them through this grid. And if they aren't Fitting in that grid, their thoughts that we need to replace. And how do you replace those thoughts? What do we do to replace some of those negative thoughts? That brings us to our last piece, and that is memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture. So we take captive our thoughts, we think about the right things, and then we memorize scripture. Hebrews 4:12 says, For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We want to be people who are thinking about what we're thinking about, and we're combating our negative thoughts with the power of Scripture, having our minds on Scripture. You may be someone who says, I'm not a big 
memorizing person, but we see this to be something that we should be following. Jesus does this in Matthew chapter four. He's tempted by Satan himself, and he goes to scripture to fight against those temptations. It's having it ingrained in your heart. And I'm not saying we should go out tomorrow and we gotta memorize 100 verses by tomorrow, but remembering things that we repeat over and over and over. So we wanna have verses that are at the ready all the time, scripture that is on our hearts, on our minds, to be able to combat negative thoughts. Something like, you may be thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not great. And we can be reminded we're created in God's image. Maybe you fight with loneliness and you can remember the words of scripture that say, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we take our thoughts captive. We focus and think about the right things and we memorize scripture. These pieces are what will help us to have us looking at and focusing on the right things. I wanna finish this section with a quote from a neuroscientist that I really think puts these pieces together and lines up exactly with what the Bible teaches. It says this, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. So this is what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. So we've covered heart, soul, mind. Tim, hit us with the last one. Yeah, thanks, Isaac. The final word Jesus uses here in Mark chapter 12 is to love the Lord your God with all of your strength. Okay, loving the Lord your God with all your hearts, minds, and souls seems pretty, pretty practical. But what in the world does loving God with your strength mean? Do we need to leave here and then just go lift at a gym somewhere? Is that what it means? I mean, I'm down for that, but I don't think that's what it means. When we look at this word here in Mark and the, the word found back in the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter six, where Jesus is really looking at, we see the meaning is actually deeper than just muscular strength. The word refers to our strength, yes, but it also refers to our power and our ability. Some passages use a word for strength that actually points to both property and wealth. So we, when we look at it like that, we see that we're commanded to love God with all the things that make us strong, our tangible capabilities, our influence, our accomplishments. So real quick, let me ask you this question. Where are you strong? What, what are you good at? What abilities, resources, influences, talents, or, or time do you have? We're called to love God with all of these things. So practically speaking, how do we figure out how to do this? How do, I, how do we identify our strengths and the things that we can use to love God? Let me give you just three quick things that you can do. First, make a list. Write down the top 10 things that you have going for you right now, your time, your natural gifts, your accomplishments, your resources, etc. Make a list. And then because it's Christmas, check it twice, right? Then identify what on your list you are actively using right now to love God. Are you loving God with your kids by pointing them to the gospel? Are you loving God with your ability to tile a shower or to paint a living room? Are you loving God with your influence in your workplace? 
helping to be a light of Jesus to people who need to know him? Are you using the money that God has given you for his kingdom purposes? Are you loving God with your gift of hospitality, of service, encouragement, or really just fill in the blank with anything there? We see in Colossians 3.17, Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all, do everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. There's so many ways that we can love God with our strength that we might not even realize that the very simple applications of this sitting right in front of us. So take some time looking at your list to identify your gifts, your accomplishments, abilities, the strengths that you're already using to love God. Because I'm sure there's something there that you're using to love God that you may not even realize yet. And finally, you've made a list. You've kind of looked at the list. You've identified some things you're already doing. This next thing is pray. Ask God to help you identify the areas of your life, what areas of strength that you can use to love God as we head into this new year together. Here's one idea. Use your strength to love God by serving and loving others. Whether that's by serving one of the ministries within this church, like KidVenture, GF Youth, or Hospitality, or by serving one of our amazing community partners, like Joseph's House, Captain Community Human Services, Franklin Community Center, or any other partners that we have. Because using our strength to love others is really central to the heart of God. Now, as we wrap things up here today, I can't help But look at this list, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and think, wow, that's really everything that we are. By answering the religious teacher's questions in this way, Jesus is really emphasizing the life-invasive extent of our commitment to God. Our love for God is to be so far-reaching that it's central to our entire being, a person's entire life, and everything that we are is to be devoted to God. And since love came down at Christmas in the birth of Jesus, it's really easy to do what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 12 during the Christmas season. But now that we're on that other side of Christmas, what do we do? Well, we cultivate our love for God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But let's take it back to Whoville for a moment. There was one person in Whoville who didn't experience the warmth and love like Cindy Lou Who and the rest of the town. If you know the story, you know it was the Grinch. The Grinch hated Christmas and even spent time and energy actively working against Christmas in Whoville. You can say that the Grinch didn't know how to cultivate love in his life. And there's a reason for that. The Grinch actually hated Christmas because he equated kind of celebrating Christmas with feelings of being unloved. He couldn't love because he didn't experience love himself. And he used his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength to be against Christmas. His heart was filled with anger for others. According to the song about him, his soul had garlic in it, which is just gross. He actively used his mind and his thoughts each day to make 
other people feel unloved and unhappy. And he used his strength, everything that he had, to physically take Christmas away from the people of Whoville. But here's where it gets good. The Grinch learned how to love when he was first loved. I love the scene from one of the latest Grinch movies where he tried to ruin Christmas for the Who's and little Cindy Lou Who invites him to Christmas dinner. I wrote some of the quotes from that movie. The Grinch says, but I took your gifts and your trees. I stole your whole Christmas. And Cindy Lou Who responds with, yeah, I know you did. But we're inviting you anyway because you've been alone long enough. Dinner's at six, don't be late. That's our story as well. We love because God first loved us. And we can cultivate, using some of the very practical things that we've talked about today, we can cultivate our ability to love God with all of who we are because of and out of a response to God's love for us. That love, that love, the love that was put on display at Christmas. And it continues each and every day of the year, giving us the capacity to grow in our love for God and in our love for others. So, as we close out our 2021, and as we look into this new year of 2022, let's choose deeper spiritual growth this year by fully loving God with everything that we've got, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And hey, I mean, if you could only accomplish one thing in the new year of 2022, why not make it to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ? Tim, would you pray for us today? I'd love to. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being the ultimate display of love. Thank you for pouring your love on us each day, God. And I pray that everyone here listening, everybody here watching, that we experience your love and we embrace the love you have for us, God. And as we start 2022, I pray for everyone here that we make a renowned commitment to make 2022 a year where we go deeper with you, where we learn to love you, God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. May the world see us and know us by our love. Proud in Jesus' name, amen.